Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 325 featuring Samuel Arsenault-Brassard and Alex Coulomb. I'm using some of my, my Frenchest French on these names, uh, but they're both uh, English-speaking, obviously, <laughs> people. And uh, we talk about some very interesting things, Kristen. Kristen, what is this podcast all about? I'm going to quiz you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it, it, this one is actually really exciting um, because you talk about like the good and the bad of NFTs, and you guys go in, in deep into a lot of stuff where... I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, but like all the metaverses and in particular Somnium space, um, Sam really likes that area. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like a VR space where people can interact. And then you can also buy uh, grids, which are NFTs. And you go, I I like that part. Um, And then you also talk about like the bad side of NFTs and like people can go under aliases and like copy the files and selling them. So um, yeah, you, it's just a great discussion of like kind of the controversy of of what's going on. Um, and you also talk about the, you know, possible ways to help with the energy sucking cryptocurrencies. <laughs> the energy so, sucking, yes, the, the yes. carbon footprint. <laughs> uh, it's true. Uh, now, I, I should say Sam and Alex uh, are, are really interesting. Alex has been on before, so you guys should listen to his previous podcast and uh, find out a little bit more about what drives Alex. Uh, Samuel is a fascinating thing. He's really into architecture. So really, this is mostly about the architecture side of NFTs and Samuel's interest in that, mostly around the world of virtual reality. And so the metaverse becomes a big part of the conversation. And the idea is, where, what can we do about selling architecture inside the metaverse and how does that work? And so uh, Somnium Space, is, as we mentioned, is one of them, I think, uh, 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 Decrypto land or no, no, no uh, Decentraland. That's what it is. Yeah. Decentraland. Sorry, is another one. Uh, and how how all of that works, uh, which is really kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I, we get a little bit more into what Samuel does, which is also you know creating museums uh, uh, which sell NFTs or, or, or galleries that sell NFTs, both inside of VR and in actual real galleries as well. It gets it gets. It gets really interesting. Uh, this yes. is, again, our ongoing conversation on NFTs. This is a series we've done. We've done another episode with Sally Slade uh, that came out uh, not too long ago where she talks about how, what, what her experience was like to just get into NFTs. And we also did one with uh, David Yermak uh, from NYU who uh, talks about uh, NFTs at large and how they fit into the uh, crypto world and what artists' responsibilities and what artists should know about NFTs in that one. That one's a really good one. And we'll have a couple more uh, coming up later. So go ahead and you know make sure and subscribe to the podcast to continue to listen to our ongoing discussion of the artist's role inside of NFTs. Now, that being said, we've got a couple of events going on. Kristen, what's happening at Chaos today? All right. You can go to chaos.com slash events. And tomorrow, May 11th, uh, CAD Design uh, it, Base uh, is having a 3D, sorry, uh, is having an online event. Um, mm-hmm. And there'll be five web- webinars covering um, essential software from 3D, CAD, and BIM. So um, be sure to go onto our website and you can sign up there. Perfect. So if you are into the CAD and BIM world, uh, CAD Design will be presenting that. And that, again, is on May 11th. And you can find out all this information by going to chaos.com slash events. Uh, if people want to know more about the podcast, where can they go, Kristen? 
You can go to facebook.com slash cggarage or chaos.com slash cggarage. And if you want to watch us on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Yes, actually, it's facebook.com slash podcast, all one word. Uh, and see, <laughs> you, you missed the podcast part, Kristen. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, we've, done, we've done this like 40 times. I don't know how, <laughs> or 100 times. Uh, anyway, uh, yes, it's uh, CG Garage Podcast. And of course, uh, remember, uh, if you have suggestions, let us know. Labs at, pay, at chaosgroup.com is the best place to reach us uh, for via email. And if you want to you know, let us know what you think or have ideas for other podcasts, including more nft podcasts we would love to hear your suggestions uh please let us know and don't forget to leave us a review and a rating on apple podcasts it's always welcome all right that being said please enjoy this amazing podcast on the subject of nfts and architecture by sam and alex welcome to another cg garage where the chaos group talks You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. I am excited to have the three of you, uh, the three of us, the two of you, the three of us all talking about NFTs in a different context because this is this. I'm doing a lot of podcasts on NFTs because this is going to be an important subject. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, what what what's what's your thoughts? How did you guys get down the rabbit hole of NFTs? First of all, Sam, we should introduce you. Yes. <laughs> Hi. Hey Sam. Sam. So tell it tell us tell us a little bit about yourself and how 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 did we end up getting you on this podcast? <laughs> um okay, so I'll try to make this short. So I'm I'll an artist. Sure we got plenty of time. <laughs> okay, so I got two two parallel life paths. I'm an artist and also mm-hmm. I studied architecture and I've worked in architecture and they kind of always intermingle with each other. So I did architectural technology, four years, super technical, became a Revit BIM nerd. Then I did lighting design in the real world uh, for architecture. So churches, museums, beautiful places. Then I went back to university uh, in a completely opposite field of 100% design and super artsy, basically, and philosophical. And midway through that, I, I bought a VR headset and started do all my, doing all my Revit projects in VR. And then I started getting really interested in in kind of what that meant for the future of architecture and a future of art and art galleries and how all all that mixed up. And so I kind of became a super specialized nerd artist in that field and just kind of create my own galleries and then fill it with my own art and just kind of obsessed with VR and art and architecture. And then I got the opportunity to become a VR. Well, first off, I got represented in Montreal uh, by a gallery, and then I got the opportunity to become uh, basically curator for care curator for the uh, VR art at Elfin Gallery in Montreal, and then I also became uh, VR. I also got another opportunity to become a VR art curator at Armure, which is a huge gallery. It's like three floors, and um, the initial idea was to have fifteen VR artists in one show for one month, which was insane. But they actually have 
it's one of the rare spaces where they have the space to do it. So anyways, that that turned out into now we're doing one VR artist a month. And basically by dealing with 15 VR artists, um, a big part of my roster started turning to NFTs. And, and part of the giant show as well was to make a symposium about VR art. And the huge problem we've always had is how the heck do we sell VR art? It doesn't exist. The collectors are not familiar with it. The galleries are not familiar with it. So I really wanted to encourage my artists and to talk about the topic of how we sell VR art, how, you know, how does it feel to be a VR art collector? What's that experience like? What does it mean to show VR? Like, let's say the Phi Center, I'm sure they've had a lot of experience to share about, um, you know, showing 20 VR shows in a month. How do you store it? What does it mean? What are all this new knowledges that you accumulate? But yeah, a big part of it is just really accelerating the market for VR art. And I was like talking to my artists that I work with and just being if you want to be super creative, if you want to sell your VR artwork in a super weird, different way, that's kind of a complete pain for the gallery. I will 100% encourage that. And then NFTs came in naturally in there. And then it's like, oh, now like four or five, four, six of the artists, like on Twitter, I'm seeing, oh, they're doing sales. And at first it was like, uh, this is kind of weird. Somebody still sold something that doesn't exist for $2,000. And it was like, Okay, now it's been like 25 people. And now it's like, I see a lot of this, these artists I was already following in my Twitter. And it's like, oh, now it's $20,000. Now it's, okay, like, you know, 80,000. And it doesn't stop for months and months and months. And the trend is just, um, was just exponential. So that's how I learned about NFTs. <laughs> so you have always been dealing with, with digital yeah, art. I've been dealing with the problem of how the heck do we sell VR art since I started, since the controllers came out, basically. What was it, 2016, 17, okay. 18? And um, also kind of... But, and uh, these are in galleries. These are in galleries that you're showing VR headsets in a gallery, right? Correct. And I specifically, it's uh, architectural spaces. So I'll make a space and then I'll do a super detailed light bake and uh, I'm, I, I used to do stuff for the metaverse where I had to optimize everything, like mm -hmm. VR galleries and Altspace VR and stuff, and like low triangles, low light maps. And now it's like complete opposite. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy a $2080, uh, 2080 you know, graphic card, pretty good. And I'm going to work with the exact same graphic card at home. And I'm going to provide or ask for that graphic card and that powerful computer in the gallery. And I'm going to run everything to the max, like make that graphic card scream and mm -hmm. just use every little pixel and every triangle you can throw at it and just uh, like hand sculpt a VR piece for like a year and bake. It. Like my last piece has like 10, 8K light maps, I think. Okay. And something like, I don't know, at least 10 million triangles, but it runs very smooth. And who was buying this art before NFTs and what were they getting when they get this art? Nobody was buying this art. No one was buying this art. <laughs> I mean, thankfully, I have a full-time job, right? So if the art doesn't sell, um, I'm not going to die. And, right. Uh, but what I would say is, let's say something took me six months. And um, so... You know, traditionally, the gallery will take 50% already. So mm -hmm. think about that when I say, like, uh, selling my piece for $5,000. So basically, it would be an EXE file. And if the client doesn't have a VR computer, we'll have a, you know, we'll have a turnkey solution for them. We'll talk about them. 
what their needs are. Is this just for running this? Is it for other things? Are they going to want to run more expensive things in the future? What kind of, we'll decide together what kind of headsets they should get. And we can either advise them, here's what to buy, how to put it together. Or we could say, okay, well, we'll just build this for you for 6K and it'll be ready in a month. Uh, but basically it's selling an EXE and that problem, that was already kind of like, you know, weird. Go ahead, Alex. I was just going to say, Sam, the way smart contracts are set up, could you actually include physical purchases, like actually include as part of an NFT purchase, you know, uh, Vive Index well, people, or something like that, Valve Index? Oh, actually, uh, well, people do it all the time, but it's more of an honor system as in uh, an artist will say, I'll send you my, the first buyer will get um, this physical piece. Now, if you want to jump to the punch, the way that I'm going to sell my VR art the way I've pivoted with NFTs is that um, I'm going to, there's two different ways. I'm going to say, if somebody buys this NFT, I will release it for free to the public and I'll offer you up to six months uh, exclusivity. That's with like a single one expensive NFT. And really that model is reflective of, of all the ethical things around Ethereum and, and this kind of like a damage control uh, experience. But now Hick and Nunk, the green NFTs, quote unquote, are actually becoming a viable so probably the next iteration of that is going to be i'm going to make 100 or 200 nfts or three videos and 50 or 100 each and once 50 percent of the nfts are sold i will ever like maybe i say every collector i'll send him the piece and once 50 percent of the nfts are sold i will release the piece for free to the public so more, less of like big money, big is this, whale. Is this the traditional way of people selling NFTs or is this the way you're no. selling? Because everyone seems that's, to be doing different things. That's really, I think it's a pretty mature way of, and a pretty different way of selling it. Uh, I mean, normally people don't come into the NFT world being like, you know, having years of problems selling VR art, right? So I'm kind of, for me, it's almost more like selling VR art than selling NFTs. I'm using NFTs to sell my VR art well, and to how release you, it. Yeah. How do you decide, Sam, when something should be, um, you know, there should only be one instance of it ever versus 100 of them or 200 or 5,000 of them? Where does the idea behind the, that number come from? Okay. So we have to go back a little bit. And I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to shame anybody and I don't want to, I, it's, it's a complicated technical topic, but, um, and some, okay. So the NFT green aspect, right? The, the huge amount of electricity, there's two things that I've read. Some people say every transaction in gas fees incurs electrical charges, super rare, which obviously we could say they're biased because literally their business model is to sell NFTs. But they say it doesn't matter if anything happens on the chain, it's just the price of the Ethereum that has a consummation aspect of it. So um, I'm going to live in a contradiction. I'm going to say this is ethically fine for all of the artists that I work with, and I, I bring them zero bad energy. But the other way I'm going to look at it is like, well, I don't want to look in the past and say, oh my God, look, look what all of you've done, Sam. This turned out to be terrible and like you're... You, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold <laughs> on. So I'm living I a contradiction. I also believe that the idea that there there is definitely a big hold on section when people are talking about how, you know, destructive to the environment the the entire cryptocurrency 
uh, or you know blockchain system. I think is. there is. I think there because, is as well. Okay, you can say uh, that the amount of energy that is needed to mint an NFT is the amount of energy as a four person household uses in a day, is what they say. You know, it also uses that amount of energy making one T-shirt. Okay. Yes, which so, is actually so, a bad comparison because T-shirts are ridiculously bad for the environment, it turns uh, out. Okay, so, but you still buy Maybe T-shirts, steak. right? You still buy a T-shirt, right? Yeah. And so the fact is it does use energy in some ways or another. Also, a lot of things use a lot of computer power. Right. Yeah. Or, or you can look at even how niche, much right? how much computer power was used to render a Pixar film. You're right, and I mean you can look at the digital arts. You can look at the physical art. You can right. look at how much energy does it take to watch look at Facebook every day, or how much energy does it take to create a Hollywood movie? Right. right. Anything. So. Yeah. The the argument that is being made that you are destroying the planet by making an NFT is a little bit. Well, it is. It is. I believe it's I an argument that's making, made for people who are against cryptocurrency. Yeah, I am, and I'm not. I'm basically allowing. Uh, I'm allowing a security to say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe all of those pro NFT things that it's green and stuff, and it's not that bad. Maybe it's going to come back in five years. It'll be a study, and they'll be like." No, you destroy the earth, and now we're all gonna die, and it's your fault, Sam. So, anyways, I'm I'm living in a contradiction, right? I'm living in a like, and and really, it ends up being a middle ground where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, but basically, what I want to do is I want to do as little as possible. And the thing is, my art, I'll take six to twelve months for every piece, anyhow. So I am gonna go back retroactively and do an NFT for my pieces you know, in the previous years. But after I've done those four or five NFTs, it's going to be a very slow trickle of a one or two new things, maybe three a year. Yeah. Well, if, first um, of all, it's not economically sound to just try to flood the market with NFTs, right? There's that it, too. You want its rareability to be part of the attraction to what they're getting, right? Yeah. And I mean, if you just became an artist in the last month by seeing like a Beeple sale, you know, and you just grabbed Microsoft Paint, and now all of a sudden you're like, in that in that field. It's like, okay, well, obviously you're not going to be there in ten years or whatever. No, exactly. So, okay, so first of all, uh, we that's great that we've established the fact <laughs> that we that you have uh, you have gone down the rabbit hole of NFTs, and it seems to be the the best suited way for you to be able to sell something that was otherwise hard to sell. We'll see. We'll I mean, see. I haven't released it yet. <laughs> okay. It, the video is almost ready. Okay. Well, this is really interesting and very exciting. I have a lot of friends who are VR artists. Uh, right. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen, heard of Kevin Mack, but he does some really cool work. Actually, absolutely. Yes. Uh, he's in the more, right? Actually, we basically collaborated together where I did the architecture of the museum of other realities and he filled it with his art. And he right. really reacted to the space and made it, it was very synergetic. And yeah. I was really happy that like he took on that space and he did, didn't just throw on everything randomly in it. He really reacted to it. Yeah. He's a cool cat. I've known mm -hmm. Kevin for a while, um, which is great. Um, so Sam and I have been talking for, I mean, sorry, Alex and I have been talking for years and years about, you know, the 
digital world and its opportunity uh, for a place for architecture to exist. And since you have a background in architecture, et cetera, that is a really interesting thing. And one of the uh, quote from a friend of mine, for, uh, his, uh, uh, Scott Metzger from a while ago, he said, Ar- VR, he said VR at the time, but I'm going to say the entire quote unquote metaverse or possibility of what that is, is the, is the great new real estate space where you can think of that place as a place where you can uh, uh, you know, buy and sell land in some ways, but virtual land. And there is going, there is now sort of uh, been, you know, things because of NFTs, there's things like Decentraland that's happening out there. Uh, what is your thoughts? You know, you've obviously thought about a place where you're selling digital art, not just a JPEG. <laughs> you're selling complete objects of some kind uh, out there uh, that people are buying. Uh, but what about virtual spaces like your museum yeah so um so there's two two different uh paths i guess the i don't really like artificial scarcity although it brings a bunch of interesting things but as you've probably noticed in the way that i sell it is i say i will sell the nft you can get some exclusivity time on it but it becomes free because you know i put all my emotions in there and i i don't want it to just uh, be felt by one collector and then maybe another person that pays 50 K, you know, it's like, I really want it to be transformative and to have an effect on people. Um, and so, and yeah, I think just utopically in a, it's, it's, it's a utopian model. So if it works, I'll make money and everybody gets it free and somebody gets to be uh, proud to have proudly the badge of having unlocked that to the public and uh, people can be thankful to that person. Um, the other thing is with the actual artificial scarcity model, we were talking about it, right? Like it's very non-utopian at first, but it also brings in a lot of interesting political spatial things um, like insomnium space. You know, we were having a meeting in this room and then he's like, oh, what do you think of the landscape? And I was like, well, it's great, but obviously this giant cube is ruining the view. And he's like, oh, that's my neighbor. Um, and a big thing in Somnium space is that it's a kind of hyper-capitalistic space where you can't have a space there unless you've paid like $20,000, basically. And so a lot of people will use it for advertising, or uh, it has this thing where it'll support NFTs. And if you go in somebody's NFT gallery, there's three dots, and you can place a bid right there or buy it right there if it's for sale. So it's very, yeah, it's just, it's, some people will actually call it a capitalistic hellscape. Um, I think there's some interesting things in it. and But like, yeah, here's something that's interesting, right? Like if I could... Can you explain what that is, first of all? Because not oh, everyone knows. <laughs> uh, it's a VR space where people can interact with each other. And okay. in this case, they can also... Basically, the land is gr- divided in grids. And each of parts of those grids is an NFT. So you can buy a part of the grid... And then you own it and you can put basically anything on it and they can't stop you. The only thing they can do is stop you from going in Somnium space, which... And they can give you like a height restriction and things like that, or you pay more for uh, less of a height restriction. But it's, the, I think, a key thing to contrast Somnium space and Decentraland with compared to the other metaverses is a place like VR Chat or Alt Space or Mozilla Hubs 
you're going to go into a single world and then whatever the creator of that world has made, that is what you're going to be interacting in. You don't have any sense of neighbors or other creators who have made anything adjacent. So everything kind of exists in its own universe, Somnium Space and uh, yeah, Decentraland. There's actually a sense of, of location and it is important where you are, how close you are to the central hub and who your neighbors are and maybe even like if there's a river nearby and things like that. Like right. if there was... Like if but there was both, a famous museum, I'd want to live close to it. Or if, like if Alex and you know Andrea had a space in there, or I'd want to live next to famous artists, not some random people I don't know. You know, in a nice neighborhood in in the metaverse. Right, but also one of the things that Decentraland advertises is that they, that the owner or the users are the owners of the space. Right. If you play Fortnite, <laughs> you're still mm-hmm. epic still has complete control over everything, right? Yes. But in Decentraland, you can do, it's your, it's, it's a, it's a communal, that's the whole point. It's just decentralized, right? Yeah. And so probably if it's like Somnium space, people have bought those plots of lands and then they're allowed to upload or build on them. Right. Um, but I don't think it's uh, totally free. I mean, we, we should look into this more, but I think there are still restrictions in terms of like, you know, violent imagery or pornography in terms of what can actually well, be in that space. In Somnium Space, they, we, I asked about that, right? Specifically, we were talking to the CEO of Somnium Space and I'm like, tell me the most dramatic thing that happened. And he basically hinted at uh, somebody was putting illegal images of, uh, you know, bad nature and um, instead of instead of they didn't own the land, right? So what are they going to do? They can't really do anything. So as I kind of mentioned quickly earlier, the only thing that they did is that they blocked that person from logging onto Somnium Space at all, but they couldn't remove what was on the land. And so I was like, okay, well, if it would have been a rich troll, like he would have been more successful because he could just buy a bunch of land, build things you don't want it and then they leave and in this case you know he he didn't want to lose his 15 or 5 or 25,000 dollars so he sold that piece of land to somebody else but it's kind of radical that they couldn't just you know unbuild or somebody had to buy the land back basically or in this case he actively sold it so that's a bit insane right we wouldn't think about that yeah, but then he I'm sure he must have made the land very expensive and No, he inf- sold it for a very similar price. It wasn't like a it wasn't like, oh yeah, you'll have to buy it for me. It was like, uh, they blocked me, I guess I'll just sell it. Oh, okay. Well, and and that like, reminds me a little bit of the difference between proof of stake and proof of work, going back to the energy consumption uh, yes. discussion, because of course, proof of work is intentionally made to be very complicated and energy intensive, but proof of stake is more like, well, you're going to put up a little bit of uh, currency of some kind, and then if you do something bad or you misbehave, then you're going to be punished. And so it sounds like maybe Somnium Space is thinking in a similar way, though I don't think you would quite call that proof of stake. It's more just like there is some kind of rules or guidelines to how you can operate there. The funny right. analogy is like, is democracy proof of work or <laughs> right? That's proof. I of mean, there is, there's a, there is a, there is a. I mean, it's not complete anarchy, right? There, the, no. it's, 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 it's done as a, as a. Well, maybe it is complete anarchy, uh, in a way. But it's regulating. I mean, code is law, right? That's the whole point. I think it's libertarian vibes. It's very libertarian. Yeah. Like there's a museum in there where it's like all pictures of guns and NFTs. <laughs> it's like, okay. 
like nothing right. illegal about it but like there's i mean the metaverse and crypto definitely has libertarian like uh, anarchist vibes for sure including the fact that it's very hard to get police involved if you're you know anything is stolen if anything illegal was done it's kind of like well how do you steal an nft though that's well actually you steal <laughs> Ocean's it's a, 11, i've seen it happen NFT edition okay how how okay go ahead Sam. okay how so somebody didn't have NFT? uh somebody didn't have two-factor authentication um oh. so they got their account hacked those pieces of art got transferred to a random account and that random account sold the nfts to unknowing collectors and that's all you can do anything on the blockchain yeah this is why you have to have two-step authentication just just saying and so the only thing you could do is say hey by the way this random password was password (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh you know i saw the twitter thread hey this random account is selling stolen nfts don't buy from them obviously that's not going to reach even one percent of collectors so right but yeah, it's interesting, right? The, the idea of uh, stealing our digital art. I mean, another thing I think we're going to see quite fast is just basically doing photogrammetry to steal 3D art. I mean, if you see it in the browser, I can go on Sketchfab and, you know, orbit around your model and all of a sudden I've scanned it. So how quickly are, are 3D models going to be stolen through photogrammetry? And it'll probably be copies of copies and copies. And then you'll have like the end Mickey Mouse, which is all wobbly and has been processed 10 times in the GIF editor or whatever. Yeah. yeah, but isn't the whole point of the NFTs not? That's, I mean, yes. Okay, look, someone will buy a copy of the Mona Lisa, but that's not the same value as the Mona Lisa, right? Correct. Um, but in digital but yeah, people, space, what's the difference between th- taking away the photogrammetry side? Let's let's go back to JPEGs. Like you know, it's bragging about, rights. <laughs> it's it's bragging rights. But I'm I'm also thinking about like Matthew Bannister with kind of the credit revolution over on Instagram. Yes. Like if yes. I if I just grab a bunch of people's beautiful archivist renders and I start selling them as NFTs, who's going to stop me? Who's going to police me? Especially if I'm doing it through an alias and you know, there's nine layers of security. Well, if me then and the buyer beware. Yeah, there's a lot of buyer beware. And I mean, we've seen a lot of art being stolen. Um, you know, artists that are not doing NFTs, all of a sudden they get a Instagram message. Hey, your NFT is uh, sold. Congratulations. And they're like, oh, somebody just made a bunch of money. And there is more and more like a report button for copyrights. Right. So if you, if, if, if I'm just saying, if Alex, if I created a beautiful piece of art and Alex st- copied the file and sells mm-hmm. it as an NFT. Yep. The internet police is going to get you, Alex. You're, you're in trouble. Well, buddy. I don't know if they're going to get him, but basically it's not that valuable because it didn't come from me. <laughs> uh, correct. There may be, um, you know, I, you could look at it, I think, in a Banksy-ish way where like having bought a fake NFT is actually kind of cooler than having bought the... <laughs> it's like, yo, fake NFT for sale. This is a historic moment. <laughs> yeah, that's, then, then that's okay. The, yeah. then that's the value of it right yeah especially yeah. if it's like a good heist you know sure yeah. you're buying listen like it's just that i was what was i watching curb your enthusiasm and they were talking about you know they had uh uh, uh richard lewis had a baseball that was uh mickey mantle's fi- you know 500th home run and there was worth twenty thousand dollars it's not twenty thousand dollars it's a baseball baseball's worth about five dollars right 
So the story of what that baseball is is what's important. So yep. if he steals my model, it doesn't matter. It's a JPEG or a, or a TIFF or a GIF or a PNG. I don't care what it is. Right? right. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's just a pointer. What you're buying is what that represents, right? So. Absolutely. And with NFTs, it's interesting because there's a whole history and the metadata that follows the NFT. Right. So And there's a um, hashtag, too, or a hash, right? That can There's that a can, hash. So you can see all the bids that have come through. And so it's um, the last show I curated from uh, Johan Baron-Lantang in Armour. We built these giant, he builds these basically TV installations. And then he'll build a second mini computer with a screen that shows the NFT metadata. And um, he does that also in his digital art. And so it, he kind of makes physical digital concepts like NFTs. And so it's kind of driven me to look at some of that metadata. And, and I've kind of discovered some stories of collectors. So, you know, there was, um, there was, I saw the bids and then somebody, what was it? It was Moderats that was bidding against Kaiser and Kaiser won. And then I reached out to Kaiser and I realized that he bought the first three pieces from Baron Lantang and then Moderats wanted to buy it from him. So anyways, through through the NFT metadata and the bids, I kind of stumbled across like this other story. And, and now it's like, oh, you know, do I try to increase the price of that NFT by, you know, mentioning it again uh, through social media, but also mentioning that it's attached to these other two NFTs that were the three first from Baron Lanting and that they're all owned by Kaiser and that, you know, he wants to sell them either as a bundle or like one by one, but mostly as a bundle. So anyways, it's like the metadata talks about some of the hidden economic architecture and story from it or like you know if napoleon had bought an nft and you got that nft after it's like it's cooler to have that one than the exact same that hasn't been owned by napoleon right right it's like the analogy i've used this analogy if you buy a sweater but then it turns out the sweater is owned by albert einstein then it mm -hmm. has a certain value but then if you find out that, oh, no, it's not Albert Einstein, it's actually Adolf Hitler, then it has a different value. <laughs> yeah, like I want Kanye's <laughs> NFTs, you know? Right. But it's not dissimilar from the real world in terms of the collecting, right? Collecting baseball cards, obviously, that's why the NBA is doing so well on NFT market, right? It's like collecting anything. It's like I have, you know, Mickey Mantle's first baseball card. No, it's just a piece of cardboard with a picture on it. No, 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 no. It has more value than that, right? It also removes a lot of fakes, and you're not going to ding your NFT usually and remove Yeah, it's not going to get damaged value. in grandma's attic. Correct. Right? Well, There's no mold. Moldy NFTs are not. Actually, yeah, that's not true. There's a bunch ahead, of problems. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I think you're going to say the same thing as me. Well, okay. So let's say super rare. And, and I'm going to go into something technical, which I'm, I have an imperfect knowledge of. But let's say super rare stops existing tomorrow. There's going to be a bunch of NFTs that are basically addresses with histories and metadata and prices and no JPEGs. Pum, pum, pum. So your wallet is going to look pretty boring. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Unless you find the original one, which the which the person sold, right? Um, to, which put up on on Rarible, doesn't actually have to be attached to something. You still it's still identified by the by the hash. 
Yeah, but when you look at your wallet, you're no longer going to see any images. You would right. basically the right now, a lot of the NFT images are hosted on a website that may or may not disappear. And there's also a huge difference with what's called on-chain NFTs, which is instead of just having a token and an ID and a history of that ID and a history that, that connects to an external image, is that you also put the image on the blockchain. And right. so if super rare, let's say super rare was all on-chain and they go down, well, as long as the blockchain is still up in 50 years, that image is still going to be in your wallet. But it's still a lot more expensive because now you have to put that image on the crypto chain and it's heavy. It's heavier than bits. And without diving too far down the blockchain larger rabbit hole, you know, people lose a lot of stuff on the blockchain. 20% of the Bitcoin out there right now will never be found, never be recovered, never be used. People lose their passwords, things get, and then yeah. that's even aside from things getting stolen. But the digital world has a very different set of problems from the physical world, but both have problems with uh, what can happen to, to, to goods of all types. I think that'll so get solved. It, it does bring up an interesting question, Sam, and that's also that came you know came up. You said we we're talking about oh, if you know a customer wants to buy a VR piece, we can make a custom computer for them, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, right? So I was just reading the thing that the the, the guys, the corridor crew guys, were doing a challenge on how to do a f uh, piece of artwork with Photoshop one, right? Okay. The first version of Photoshop. How? The challenge of finding a computer that could actually run Photoshop 1 was extraordinarily hard because yeah. of what you have to do. So how are you – this only works on a Vive headset. 20 years from now, will anyone have a Vive headset? Oh, look, I've got these zip disks of all of my stuff that I had from yeah. college. What am I going to do with all those things? I mean, I don't think you can expect the artist to like every seven years redo the whole experience. Um, I think in this case, it's more like, first off, the, the NFT will be a video uh, that releases the VR experience. And I think it's more of like, if you're a collector, you've decided to help that artist right. uh, push these things. And there's another bigger story I haven't said yet is that for my art, basically two, three years ago, I created a series of... Um, 15 rooms, a whole gallery. And what I'm doing is I'm filling up those rooms one by one every six to 12 months and publishing it like quote unquote perfect. And the gallery has all been designed to basically use um, occlusion calling. So that's built into the architecture. And so it's meant that every room is going to make the graphic card cry to the max. And so that way, uh, you know, you can go in every room and, and use your graphic art to the maximum and see this ridiculous pieces of art and really great lighting and architecture. Uh, but the idea is that, you know, in, in whatever amount of years it takes, 10, 15, 20 years, I'm going to create one final gallery where it's all of those pieces together um, and, you know, trying to push the, the technology um, every time I publish a room, basically. So that's the kind of the long-term goal of uh, that. And I'm sorry, I kind of forgot where I was going with that, but there was a reason. Well, yes, you I mean you're trying to make it future proof, right? Is what you're trying to do. Oh yeah, what I'm trying to say is, you know, if if somebody collects from me, it's cuz they know about that whole vision and it's like I'm just going to be publishing. My goal is to publish all of these rooms and that they're free over the years as I do them while still getting paid and at the end of the, the the whole thing, there'll be like one mega gallery and then it'll be a lot easier to just maintain that mega gallery than like trying to maintain all the 15, 20 other projects I have in the back. Okay. 
Could yeah. you sell an NFT of that larger gallery that in theory includes all these smaller NFTs? Um, well, what I will do again at the end is I will say, here's, I'm either going to say, here's one expensive NFT. And if somebody buys it, I release the whole gallery to the public for free. Or I'm going to say, here's 250 100, 250, you know, uh, Tezos. I'm, I'm thinking in Tezos and Hick and Dunk right now, like cheaper and more of them, more democratic, basically. And I'll say, okay, here's 200. If I sell 50% of these, I will release the gallery. And uh, that's like, help me get to the 50% at least. And uh, then there's also these videos running. Where are you selling your stuff? Right now, I haven't even put one up yet. I, I At first, I was like, open C. I did get... Uh, invite on foundation from Euphoria, which I highly value because he's, you know, a great artist and a great person. And uh, it's like, I think I'm going to end up putting it on foundation just because of the hype, hashtag hype. Why is foundation a good place? Because they stole super rare's design. And uh, <laughs> I mean, they, it basically is just like, it shows you that if you just have good design and you put up a website um, that looks good and easy to use. People are going to use it. Uh, the other thing is they've, I feel like those crypto markets, they always do best when there's very few amount of people on them. Um, and while they're expanding after a while, they've, you know, there's too many, the curation doesn't mean anything anymore after a while. It's just too much noise. So in the early days, and I mean, I'm slow, right? I could have been, I could have been on that NFT thing two, three months ago. And it's just like taking my sweet time. Um, but yeah, I feel like during those times where it's more exclusive, the quality is higher and there's, there's more enthusiasm. And then that kind of dilutes with time. So we're starting to see that less in super rare, but like, you know, obviously on open sea, it's like, it's just like anybody. Yeah. My grandma can make an NFT and well, that's it. So, yeah, I mean, we went, I went through this. I did a podcast with Sally Slade and Sally basically says, I just want to go through the steps. Right. And so she went through Rarible, which is like the cafe press of NFTs, right? Like anyone who's got an NFT, anyone who gets crypto, you can go on there. It doesn't make any difference. Or anyone who has Ethereum more specifically. Um, But, uh, but the other ones are not necessarily, like, like, you know, super rare is supposed to be super rare, right? It's supposed to it's be curated. Very, it's highly curated and it's extremely challenging to get on, right? And is also where, since it got, well, since it got popular, it's like the time to review your application is like three months because right. everybody and their dog wants to now have an NFT on super rare because that's what you need to do to become a millionaire. Well, Yes. Though that's the thought process, at least. Yeah. But I do want to. I, I do want to get back to to. I mean, obviously, because of your VR experience and stuff that you're doing there, you're not you're not just selling JPEG. You're selling things that have spatial identities. To them. Yeah, I'm using it to release the VR, basically. Right, and that's. I think it's a, obviously a very smart move. And I still want to get back to the idea of like owning things that are mm-hmm. spatial. Yep. The core idea. Okay, owning things that are spatial spatial right and it could be a sculpture if you want or but it could be an architecture piece as well and the fact is the world of vr uh you know i'm sure you're not uh uh, you you're not the cause of this but are definitely aware of it the world of vr is an ugly space there is not very much good looking stuff in vr and it's very rare to i mean 
There is there. But if you go into your VR headset and you go to the Netflix app, it is the ugliest thing in the world. No one's well, creating the wrong movie. apps. I know I am, but there is a lot of, <laughs> you gotta very, go to big screen. You got to go. There is definitely, no, I'm not, not saying that there's not good looking stuff, but I'm saying that there should be great design in, in VR and it should be highly accessible and it should be a really beautiful place for people to go. But unfortunately, just like the worlds of NFT art, there's a bunch of crap out there too. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with VR art and uh, good design and I, I, I buy a lot of experiences for VR research and my own knowledge and, and, multidisciplinary stuff or whatever but uh i'm surprised by you saying that because i'm obsessed with the beautiful aspect of vr so i know all of the beautiful apps and i love them well that's because like you've internet, that's right? because you've been there right you know where to find it and that's fine that's fine yeah. but 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 if you if you just put on a headset by default if i put on the freaking vibes headset right now it's a blank yeah. room and it's not pretty right i mean i could say the same about the internet like i may go on craigslist before i learn about other alternatives right um and there's a lot of bad websites, but there's also, you know, I'm going to say hypebeast.com or something, you know, there's like, there are design websites. Um, well, and, and to continue that analogy, yeah, the web is full of amateurs and people who are just doing something to be functional. And then there are actual web designers who have a proper background in graphic design and UX design and that sort of thing. And so I think what Chris is getting at is there aren't a lot of trained architects working in virtual space right now. And one question might be, why not? Why don't many architects see value in creating virtual architecture? Mm. Well, I think a lot of architects would think of it as being demeaning to lower themselves to something that won't be physical. And there's kind of a romanticism of the real world. Um, so that would be my first, I think you have to be a little bit radical to, I'm like, I'm definitely. Yes and no. Okay, now hold on a second, because mm -hmm. there have been there have been uh, uh, shall we say paper architect or digital architects for a long yeah. time, right? Yep. You know, uh, 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 Libius Woods. Libius Woods yeah. is a very classic example of a of, a, of, a, of a non physical architect, as well as uh, what's his name, uh, Heideck, uh, who was the the guy from the head of um, oh god, uh, Joel Heideck. Is that what his name was? Oh, Hedjuk or something. Yeah. Yes, uh, the funny houses and the long houses. Re and, yeah, really, the yeah, buy yeah. house and all that stuff. But then there's also uh, digital ones as well, like Greg Lynn, who did a lot of work that he did, which was never built, right? Or or uh, Asymptote, where Honey, Honey Rashid did a bunch of work as well. I mean, Archigram. these people, like these people, yeah, Archigram, like they're... Okay, so isn't this like a perfect opportunity for them to sell their for architecture? For those people, yes, th but those <laughs> those are what we call radicals. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know. So, but but yeah. okay, Greg Lynn used to be a radical, but he's not really radical anymore. <laughs> but does he still do the radical stuff? Yeah, sure. Well, but, now he's uh, actually selling Greg robots, Lynn? but uh, but <laughs> discredited. <laughs> but it, but no it's, longer but, radical. Well, Greg that's Lynn. a thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But he built stuff too. Um, but yeah, he did. He did do, do the weird. I remember. He was, from yeah, like he was like yeah, Nerbs, Nerbs architecture. Nerbs was a thing for him. Yeah, but where is the Greg Lynn metaverse? Exactly. Waiting? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, where is the Greg Lynn metaverse? I, why? Why? Why aren't they being invited into this world? Well, you or know, probably because of the same reasons why I do this, and it's insane, is because there's no money in this world right now. We have to determine what the economic model is for selling VR and VR architecture. 
uh, if there is one. I mean, it's not like people are going to die if nobody sells VR architecture. It's just like uh, you can walk in dreams and architects have a lot of dreams. But they, but suddenly they found out that there was there was no money in digital art in general for a long time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and now suddenly there is. I mean, um, in my ideal world, the, the what I'm going to do in a week or two or three is going to be super successful, and a bunch of people are going to not steal my idea but use my idea. I think the idea that I bring to the table of selling art this way is almost more interesting than the art itself. And if that can be the thing that lives on successfully, then I'll be super happy. If it can allow all of these dream architect to publish their worlds, whether it's a, even a walking simulator where you see it on the screen or if it's VR or AR or whatever. If it but can you, allow people to Why don't that. you make your own store instead of going to foundation or whatever else? Oh gosh. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to be like an IT maintaining server. I, like I, I have, I've never even read through like any of these crypto, like E257 specifications. Like, no, <laughs> Okay, I'm not going to read that. I've talked it's to the like smart asking, people. Yeah, it's it's like asking someone who built a really nice VR chat world, why don't you just build your own metaverse? <laughs> yeah, or asking the Mitch architect, Carter. like, why don't you also become a contractor? Right. It's like, right. there's or a reason. <laughs> Mitch Hedberg has a joke about someone saying like, oh, you're a comedian, now write a show. It's like telling a good chef, like, you're a great chef. Can you farm? It's like totally different. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And yeah. Yeah, same thing like asking an artist to start a gallery. It's a completely, or even a museum almost in that case. Chris, if I may, there's there's one direction I'd love to, to go uh, before sure. we run out of time, because we're talking about art and architecture, and in some cases kind of conflating the two. And I'd love to distinguish a little bit between them, especially in the virtual space, because for me, uh, art only really needs to serve an aesthetic purpose. And there's no wrong way to view art. Anyone can have a positive or negative reaction to it. But architecture, besides being spatial, to me, inherently also needs to have some kind of functional purpose. And ideally, there's also a social component as well. And so, you know, Sam, as you're talking about how um, you want to release a certain number uh, uh, NFTs of, of your designs and then release it for free, I also wonder what you might think about something where maybe the the standalone uh, singular experience of, say, something like the Museum of Other Realities could be available for anyone to download and look at on their own. But if someone wanted to uh, purchase the rights to to host an event there, or to uh, you know modify the design, or or have some kind of more let's say architecty impact on it. What mm -hmm. might that look like? Because it it makes me think because I'm you know used to designing theaters that it would be really interesting to have a venue where I could through NFTs, for example, sell the right to. Uh, actually have a concert or, or some kind of live event at that venue. And maybe I'll release it for free so anyone can just download it and look around. But that more architecty functional use of it uh, becomes something special that starts to deserve that artificial scarcity. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the closest we have to that is probably Somnium Space, where you can rent your lot to somebody else and then they can basically build whatever they want on it and uh it doesn't support it or, or just started but very soon or already um they're going to support uh connecting to your unity project right now it's more like a voxel builder so um you're limited but once you can basically import a uh, uh i think you know you need a whole infrastructure or you would need to say hey alex send me your fbx model and I will bring it into 3ds Max and modify it and then upload it into my Unity. 
Um, in terms of, well, go ahead. I was going to say, like you're saying, though, I like the example with Somnium Space because you could create a design and say, hey, anyone who wants this, it's a free EXE, but the version of this that is up on Somnium Space is special because it's in context and it has neighbors and that's the only like multiplayer version of it. So that would be using an existing setup. What I was initially imagining would be like more of a, like it's a standalone executable that has social capabilities, but only like one person or, or NFT buyer is granted the rights to use that functionality of the EXE. Right. Well, then the artist kind of needs to become a developer, which is where I don't I don't program. So, you know, I I think there's so many things in that aspect, right? Like I would love to be able to release a VR thing for free for a month, a year, and then know that they can't use it for the rest of the year. So it's like I still gave it to the public for free, but not forever. So there's still a desire to, let's say, buy it for the rest of the year or something like that. But like you're getting into like these very complex licensing models that require programming and probably back end knowledge and and, uh, all these things that I'm I'm wondering how much NFTs can help with that just as part of the smart contracts. Well, I think in the in the example of the theater um, developing on that idea, I like the idea of, uh, you know, I've designed theaters that the seats would retract and things like that. So you could really look at a building like, hey, I'm going to provide you with a building with sh- with layers. There's the core layer that doesn't move and structural or whatever. Um, and then you can remove the furniture or you can remove the seats from the theater and add your own crazy seating. But like the theater will always, there's, there's a part of it that you can't modify or maybe you can just paint. Um, so I think that would be an interesting direction of like, kind of looking at reality as an analogy of what you would do if you could rent a theater for a month and have shows. Yeah. I'm still, yeah. I mean, I the contracts a- can do some of that, right? The smart contracts can, can, can do that. The exclusivity is, is, is built into the contracts. That's the idea, right? The, 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 you're saying, because that's the whole point of Ethereum is that you have these smart contracts that can be conditional. Like one of the ways that, that David uh, Yermak says it is like what Bitcoin did to the banking industry, Ethereum is going to destroy, quote unquote, the insurance industry, right? Because it's saying, I will pay you this uh, unless the temperature reaches this degree or whatever you, whatever you put into the smart contract. That's an insurance, right, of some kind. So you're building the insurance that you're building into your NFT through this contract is basically its own s- scarcity (laughs) right imagine if you go like i'll i'll pay you for your architectural work if you have less than 100 clashes in your model by this date free design (laughs) right but i mean yeah there's a lot of you know there's a lot of that kind of stuff that you could kind of do sort of Interesting. Chris, you're also reminding me that one of the reasons um, not just paper architects, but real architects should be attracted to this world is because of the level of gestalt that you can actually exercise over your design. Like you can have in your smart contract, you are never going to move any of the furniture here. Everything is locked in place. It makes me think of how Frank Lloyd Wright used to go back into his houses after people bought them and he'd like put everything back the way it was. You can do that in digital space and make sure no one ever moves anything. Yeah. 
Yeah, I had a, it was interesting. I remember there was a, a, one long, long time ago, when I was a little kid, there was a a guy I knew who was a fairly well-known architect and used to design a lot of celebrity houses and stuff. And uh, he was really funny, but they would, he said he went to some clients and they didn't necessarily have the greatest taste in furniture. And they were talking about their, you know, what they want to do with their house. And they're just like, well, you know, this is how we want it. And, he says, and then, of course, we have all of our furniture. And he goes, what, how can, what do you propose we can do with this? And he says, well, I've got a great solution. What we can do is we can sell it all. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, at the, yeah, you're right. You can, you, can, you can build in a lot of things into it. But also, you don't have to worry. I mean, I hate to say it, but you don't have to worry about, you know, any you know ADA problems or or anything like that? It, like yeah. you, all of the things that are you know fire ratings on a door. I mean that was the first thing when I started. When I was at you know at Gensler and it was a great firm. I loved working there and they. I wanted to work on a design team and they were like reluctantly let me do it because I was too valuable as a CG person than to be an actual designer. But I still love designing and I went there and the first thing was like okay you're going to help us design this new office space etc. So I got on the design team and I started work. And the first hour we're talking about fire ratings on doors and stuff like that. It's like, I have no interest in this. I started to realize, like, I actually don't care. It's like, so when I went to do architecture and film, it's like, doesn't matter. <laughs> they set you up, man. They, they're like, okay, this guy wants to do design, but he's way too good at CGI. So I want you to talk about fire rating for the first three days he's in here. <laughs> you fell for it. I did. I did. And they succeeded. Uh, yeah. so, so good for them. Um, but, but, but I think there is some, some, some interest in there and I think it's, it's, it's something to be, yeah, I, I'm interested to find out, you know, where, where your, your gallery is, because what you're basically, what's interesting to me is that they've been talking about these NFT markets, right? Specifically like the super rares and all those places as the now competing against the traditional art gallery, right? Traditional art gallery, what, what did you say? 50% they used to take? 50%. 50%. Now these people are money. taking a significantly smaller one yes. than that. Yeah. I think it's 15% is the highest I've heard on usually, an NFT. I've seen maybe 30, but I think it's 15 usually. Okay. And then uh, on top of that, you have a smart contract, which means you get 10% every time it gets resold. So, well, yes and no. They can theory. get away from, of, somebody can weasel away from that uh, obligation okay. right now. But there's a proposed update to the NFT format that would prevent it from happening. Okay. Uh, so, and I've seen some of my friends who, whose collectors have sold and weaseled themselves away from that percentage. So they have seen it go away and not received any percentage. That's. That's very sad, but yeah. nonetheless, honor system. If honor system, well, technically, you Isn't shouldn't need an honor system with a smart contract. Collectors have uh, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, when you do bad things and it follows you, like a reputation. Collectors right. have good and bad reputations, right? So there's, you know, people talk. I'm in some discords, and people talk about certain collectors. So, but you seem to be making yourself as a gallery. <laughs> As a gallery but, owner, a digital virtual gallery owner, in a sense, like you're um, going to help a bunch of people sell their art through your through what you're doing. Yes, it's almost like I have a mini gallery at Almer right now because I'm, uh, you know, it's a VR room. I'm just basically the curator for everything that happens in that VR room. We've already got the 15 artists uh, mostly picked. Some of them, it's like, and I'm not sure if they're going to back out or not. So I haven't fully announced all of the. Uh, the names but anyways so 
so yeah and it's not all of the artists the only thing in con- that all of these artists have in common is that they all have vr or ar work and it's all independent work it's not like a group there was it's not like somebody got paid like eighty thousand dollars to do a piece of art it's all just artists individual artists that do great work that i love um it's a collection <laughs> yeah and some of them fairly high amount maybe close to 50 or 60 percent have turned to nfts and also like i introduced the topic to people that are interested in it um and so some of them are considering it especially now with hick and nunk where there's no longer basically zero you know ethical qualms or whatever even gray areas you know so that's great um so yeah, it's not like I'm, oh, I'm an NFT gallery person. It's like I'm a VR gallery art person. And uh, and there's some NFTs in there now. It's really interacting. And the artist that's up there right now, Johan Baron Lateng, like it was kind of like a, a shock show in a way. It's so extremely technological. Like he's a he's a internet explorer. <laughs> literally like he's always looking at those fringe uh those fringe cultures on the internet and joining groups and joining weird art movements and basically kind of like not infiltrating but like just joining and participating in all these weird things and that's how he came across the whole nft world but like anyway so when you go to this show like there's literally qr codes on the walls and tvs of videos and but this is all uh, in vr right this is all it's half VR and half physical. Okay. And and really that's a common a common thing with his work is that people are confused as to whether it's his digital word word world or like a physical installation because his physical installations are a bunch of computers that he builds and there's wires all over the place and um and it's always about like social media and in this case like NFT metadata. So so yeah, it's it's just kind of like a perfect uh, intro for people to NFTs. Whereas next month we're showing Lucas Agures and his stuff. There's an NFT, but it's a hundred percent painterly, and there's zero percent the topic of technology. It's just like Baroque paintings. We're gonna have like full wall prints on three walls, like top to bottom, and then you're gonna go into the VR, where it's gonna be the exact opposite, where it's a completely empty world, and there's one sculpture, and it's all white. So you know. Um, I brought in Johan Baron Lateng because it was a perfect like technology, internet, NFTs, computers. And it's like, if you want to learn about NFTs, this is the fit. Like it's, I felt like I was in a book. I was able to explain to people what NFTs were within 10 minutes in that space. It's, I had all the tools in front of me. I had like the Twitter NFTs. I have the, the literally the bids. You go on the QR code, it brings you to super rare Um it's it's like a physical version of NFTs was in is in that gallery, mm. whereas next month it's very painterly, very baroque almost, and the technology is just invisible. So mm. I wanted to shock people and really bring on the topic super uh, explicitly, and then just go okay, well actually this is also just really cool art and it doesn't have to be about the technology. It seems interesting that you're turning NFTs into something physical because that's kind of the point that they're not. In oh my god. Yeah, yeah, you should see um, you should see <laughs> Johan Baron. He has this thing called the pouch, mm-hmm. and basically, it's a it looks like a case for your screen uh, on your cell phone, but it's basically a giant pouch for a huge TV. 
Mm-hmm. And then on the pouch, there's a mini screen, and I forget what it is. It's uh, not an Arduino, but the other thing than Arduino. And then he has this little computer that connects to the internet with a black and white screen with a QR code and the name of the NFTs. And you see the the history of the NFT sale. And basically, if somebody bids on the NFT, it connects to the internet, and it'll update the bids and the ownership on that screen. So it's like he really made an NFT like a physical object. And then you look you at You could the, buy right then and there. Well, you see that the pouch is open and you see the video in the TV and the video in the TV is the NFT that it connects to. So yes, you could literally point your phone at the QR code, go on Super Rare, buy it, and then your name would show up on that pouch. Oh my God. And there's also an NFT version of that How much would it cost pouch. to have your name up here on that cap? I think, um, well, he's got two NFTs for sale at the gallery and they're also, there's the exact same concept in VR. So in VR, those pieces are there and you see the it connects to the data of the ownership and the bids. So in VR, you would see the name of the owners change and the bids go up live. So I think uh, one of the pieces, 2.3 Ethereum, I think you can just buy it. It's not even a bid. And um, one of the other pieces that's in VR, you'd have to contact Kaiser and probably do a buy all three or buy one of them. Interesting. Um, and then there's like other, some of them are on QR codes and it's super ironic, right? Because like people are coming into a physical gallery and the quote unquote art is a giant QR code pasted on the wall. And so the <laughs> idea is that you're going to have people in the galleries on their cell phone, looking at the actual art. It's like super tongue in cheek. And it, it, it wasn't even planned at first. It was like, we were having troubles with the tracking of the old headset, the Reverb G2. So it was like, okay, Johan, we need to put something on the wall because the tracking of the Reverb G2 is complete bad. And so um, he was like, oh, I could put QR codes. Like, hey, yeah, let's put QR codes. And then I was like, oh, you know what? We just got the Rift S. Tracking is great. We don't need that anymore. So if you want to put the QR codes around, you know, we can spread them around. We don't need them all in the VR room anymore. But I, I love that this tracking problem brought us these giant QR codes all over the gallery, and it's super ironic. I remember, okay, so when I was in when I was an undergraduate, I was a, a math and art major. Uh, I did a double major in math and art, and and when I was in uh, math, I they just got these new Next computers that they were using. That shows my age a little bit, uh, and they were using Mathematica. It was the first versions of Mathematica to do things, and I was really fascinated by uh, multi-dimensional or n-dimensional spaces. And so, I got fascinated by something called the, the Klein bottle, and I tried to create an equation for it. And the first time I created an equation to represent it in Mathematica it was a really complicated thing. And it took me a while to sort of do it. And then I started thinking about it. And I was like, oh, my God, I have a way more beautiful equation that could represent it. And it was super simple. And I wrote that equation. So what I ended up doing for my art class, I was taking printmaking at the time. And printmaking, you know, obviously we learned about actual printing and silk screening and all that stuff. But then you could also do really much more different printing that you wanted. Literally just printing something on a piece of paper could be part, represented as the art. And so what I put up as my piece was a diptych, one of the old equation of the Klein bottle and one of the new equation of the Klein bottle. And that's all I did. It was just the equations. And the artists are like, this is so much more beautiful. Like the whole idea is that the same thing, but one is prettier than the other one. And the artists hated me for it because they didn't understand what the hell I was talking about. And it was really upsetting to them that I would say a math mathematical equation is a piece of art, right? So my long story, but what is 
what do you think is going to be the reaction of the art world to this? What, what, how are they going to react to this? Um, well, they've already started. I mean, we obviously Christie's is in it. We know about that. And they're even yeah. selling CryptoPunks, which is the least art world thing there is. Um, so but I'm not talking about the galleries. I'm talking about people like artists, like there's, 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 a, there's artists? a negative reaction towards this. Okay. So the big thing, there's two barriers. It's super complicated for somebody who's in, like artists. You know, if I look at myself 10 years ago, I wouldn't want to uh, start a crypto account figure out if I need to open an account on Binance, on Probit, on whatever, whatever, whatever. It's like every time it's just like, is it, what is this? Is this thing? Blah, 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 blah. So you, it's kind of complicated. You know, you have to figure out what Ethereum is, gas fees, blah, 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 blah. The other thing is the environmental aspect of it. Um, that is the biggest barrier I see for artists going into it. They don't want to, you know, artists are usually utopian people. And so, um, or sometimes they have very strong environmental or you know social goals, etc. So we don't want to be the bad guys. Um, and so if there's any doubt about that, that can be a big stop. And I talk, I say this having like discussed this with uh, the artists I work with, and um, and yeah, that has been my my experience so far from. From that point. Now, the other thing is, you know, now there's Hick and Nunk. And a, a month or two ago, I was looking at Hick and Nunk and I was like, is there anybody buying from here? A lot of the collectors don't care about it. Um, a lot of the big collectors are like, oh, I only buy Ethereum NFTs. So what's the point of putting something up on Hick and Nunk if it's not going to sell and you're going to be wasting your time? However, in the last month and two, it's just really kind of picked up a lot, a lot, a lot. And so now we have a quote unquote green alternative that actually works and um like for example press tube does a really amazing job in his social media and his nft work and i love i i just i need to get some tesos so i can buy some of his pieces because i'm i'm going to regret it for the rest of my life um but anyways he does a great job on this and you know he'll put a series of 100 for 50 or 80 bucks and they'll sell and he's also kind of quote unquote invented his own method where the NFT price rate rises as you keep buying it. So, you know, the first one will be cheaper. And then as it keeps going, the price keeps increasing, which is actually something that galleries do invisibly behind the scenes. Like if you have a series of eight, the price for the first one will sometimes be lower or, you know, secretly the first one is 5,000. And then the third one is like 8,000 or whatever, or six or 550 or, mm -hmm. you know, 5,500, whatever. So, okay. yeah, so basically now there is a way to do it ethically, but this way is kind of new. And it's kind of like if somebody were to ask me, I want to do NFTs, I'd be like, okay, Tezos account, buy some Tezos, get on Hick and Nunk, do that. Nobody can come back in the future and say you were, you know, destroying the earth or whatever. There's just zero gray zones, basically. Or like right. if there is, it's like, but you know, also, also, you know, we can look at. I'm not trying to defend Ethereum, but Ethereum is basically trying to solve that problem. Yes, right? it's that's to the other their thing. advantage to do it, right? Well, Ethereum 2.0 will quote unquote unsolve the whole thing within a yeah, year. Yeah, no more miners. Well, yeah, 
miners are not going to be mining anymore. They'll just be winning a lottery, basically. Yes. Right. Um, and that's another thing that doesn't get mentioned. And, and thank you for bringing that uh, into the portrait. But I think it's just for a lot of people that are, you know, hyper environmentally aware, removing any kind of gray zone in, in that. But again, let's go back to this point. It's like, just stop buying t-shirts too. And then stop doing this. Then stop. There's a lot of things yeah. that yeah, you like can pretend. Every life that you're is not, damaging right. the environment. Basically. Yeah. Stop looking at Facebook. Facebook uses a ton of computers. Don't buy anything on Amazon. They use a ton of computers. You know, yeah, whatever it is. It's like, it's a, you can't, you, it, you just can't pretend. I really like if you feel. you access this tweet, you're guilty. <laughs> yes. I, ha, I have a feeling, and I may be controversial. You guys can jump down my throat if you want to. The people that are complaining the most, the artists that are complaining the most about the green aspect of NFTs are artists who haven't been able to get on NFTs. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's true. I, I think mean, honestly, no. go ahead, Sam. Well, I think one of the first artists that quote unquote rung the bell, I think it was a little bit of a attention grabbing, uh, you know, every single tweet ended with what the fuck? Like, right. you know, like it was just like very, and it wasn't very well researched. And like two days after 80% of the tweets had been deleted and like, okay. you know, it seemed yeah. reactionary and like give me attention. Uh, but anyways, I don't want to point fingers. Yeah, and many of the artists who have sold NFTs are you know very concerned about the environmental aspect. I know Beeple said that he wants to offset all of the carbon emissions from his work. But Chris, from what I've seen from a lot of people, is that they feel that the the carbon offset of everything being done, it just feels unnecessary. A lot of the things we're talking about, the energy that goes into making a t-shirt or watching a Pixar film, like you you can't really make that that much more efficient in order to actually get that result. Where here, it's just kind of by the nature of blockchain, which is uh, intentionally inefficient, that people are getting frustrated by how much electricity gets used to do that. And then again, you're, it's not actually creating the thing. It's just giving you this deed of ownership, which is different from actually rendering right. 30,000 4K frames. Right. I know how but I'm going to solve. Okay, go. How are you going to solve it? I know I'm going to solve the uh, green energy for my NFTs. I'm going to use this moment to ask your listeners to stop eating meat and then it's going to offset my carbon emissions. <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. So stop right now. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or or don't 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 live in a building that uses concrete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's not go into how awful architecture in general is for the environment. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so there's a lot of things, you know, or you know. Just, I'm just saying that that it it sometimes that argument feels very political rather than well researched. Uh, well, and, I, and I'm just trying to say let's let's let's. I'm not trying to defend NFTs. I'm not trying to defend the amount of computer power that's necessary because honestly, I can. I think that it's not that they're using too much energy. Is that those computers could be used for doing other research like or gaming, <laughs> or gaming, if you wanted that, or 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 you know you know cancer research or whatever you know like something. That's what I, you know, but, but that doesn't I mean, matter. Making my lighting. Right. Yeah. And um, why is it that I have to pay so much for a freaking GPU? Because someone bought it to do crypto mining, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just not fair. Yeah. Anyway. 
Well, it goes back yeah. to the core of what you were saying. Like, it's all about the perception of value. There's no reason that that Mickey Mantle baseball, you know, should be worth that much money, but there's a perceived value to it. And the flip side is true where there's a perceived like negative, this is awful kind of And it's certainly not worth $50,000 in Bulgaria where they barely know what baseball is, right? So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's only worth $50,000 to someone who loves Mickey Mantle. So yeah. that the liquidity so, is... Uh... Right. So these are, and that's not a, I mean, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea. Well, listen, we're getting towards the, uh, uh, we, we're going a little long and that's fine and all, but I want to make sure that people have an opportunity to check out some of the cool stuff you're talking about. So where is the best place, Sam, that people can check out some of this cool stuff that you're doing? Um, so I finally made a website last December. Uh, nice. So if you're looking for my art, it's uh, samuelab.com. And uh, it's a bit of a work in progress, but it's got some of my digital architecture and I'll be updating. I think it's got my socials on there as well. I mostly ramble about VR art on Twitter. So I think it's Sam underscore underscore AB. Um, two underscores. On, nice. Yeah, two underscores. <laughs> or I think the link is on SamuelAB.com. Okay. And uh, yeah. So Awesome. That's really cool. Um, yeah, and if you're in really Montreal, cool. check out uh, Elephant Gallery or Armour Gallery, and um, yeah. All right, that sounds great. I, I'd also encourage people to check out the Museum of Other Realities because Sam did a fantastic job designing that. And actually, similar to the model Sam was describing earlier, they periodically actually make that free to download on Steam. Um, and if you're not going to do that, I think it's like $15. It's a beautiful space, and uh, yeah, Kevin Mack and a ton of other incredible artists have their work in there. Yeah, That's and if you don't know, you can basically, it's a VR-only space, but you can meet your friends in there and uh, also strangers, and there's events and new exhibitions, um, and it's pretty much the most utopian, like if you're any way interested in VR architecture, you should really purchase uh, Museum of Other Realities and visit it. Yeah. And it's available on Steam, Steam and but it's also Oculus on Oculus, Perfect. but uh, Steam has, you know, prefer steam version i think <laughs> okay. it's got the ex it's got the experimental one and it'll have dlcs and i'll have more updates good i got the old steam in my house see, see, see. nice <laughs> so um but yeah that's great uh that's really cool uh, well this has been really fascinating i like i said i've been going down the rabbit hole on this a little bit and uh it's at first it's been really hard to, to wrap my head around it as with everyone um, and, and I, it, I felt, um, you know what it reminded me of? Uh, it's, it, or I remember it was something like 15 years ago or so there was a leaked out. It was a, a lecture by the Scientology community that came out. I don't remember that. And they were talking and they were like, what the hell are they talking about? Cause they kept going off on all this Scientology stuff. And I said, this is a bunch of BS. And sometimes when I listen to, some of the people talking about crypto stuff at the beginning, I'm like, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. And it feels like I'm being conned into something. But the more I'm getting to know it more and more, and it is very, very complicated by design. It has to be kind of, you know. I think once you follow the right people on Twitter and you just see the conversations, you know, people come into the gallery and they're like, oh, NFTs, isn't that just how a bunch of Russian people launder money? And then you're like... <laughs> You know, I'm on Twitter following these people and I see them talk about collecting and I see them 
talk about what they buy and why they buy it and it's like the i'm sure there's i mean the art world is just inherently has that fraud in it so i'm sure if they duplicate the art world digitally there'll be fraud in it mm -hmm. um but with that being said yeah it's a whole culture and it's actually radically transparent like if you go on twitter people will just post like hey here's a list of all the nft collectors and you can see them and they're tweeting about what they're thinking and doing and they're they're like Oh, what do you think about this? Or look, you know, uh, don't bully artists. Like they're they're just talking about all all the stuff that happens in the NFT world, all the drama basically, and the the exciting stuff. And you don't need a key; you just need to Google it and know the couple of right people, and then see who's responding. Right. And yeah. Very cool. Well, that's that's great. So you know, if you, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Do me a favor, send me an email with some recommended people to follow yep. uh, on Twitter. And then we will put that in the show notes and people can go on to that as well. So that would be really good and useful to have as well, Sam. Awesome. Really appreciate it. So this has been awesome, guys. Thank you, Alex, so much for suggesting that we do this podcast because you and I always have these like, did you see this <laughs> kind of thing? It's like, we should do a podcast. Yeah. It's like, can we do a CG garage? It's like, yes, we can totally do a CG garage on this, uh, which is great. Uh, and then Alex, I think, I mean, this, I'm not sure when this podcast comes out, it may come out after the real time conference, but, uh, we should also note that you and I are also going to be on a real time conference talking about something not too dissimilar from this, right. <laughs> about yeah. the world. Of, yeah. So, uh, we're very interested in the VR, uh, in, in the digital architecture world and what it implies in this world. So, all right. Well, thank you so much guys. I really appreciate it. Hey, my Thank pleasure. You, and there is also a bunch of topics we haven't talked about. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll throw some more things into the show notes. We can throw more things in the show notes, but or we can actually do a follow-up in, you know. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. People. Okay, well, tell it. I, yeah. I have like five more episodes in me, so. All right. Well, you, you throw it out there. And if you know, listeners, if you want to hear more about from, from Sam about what his thoughts on this, we can definitely put it out there. We have a lot of things to discuss. Well, cool. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Chris. This is great. Thanks so much. Bye.